Tonight's reading is from John 21, 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with the fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of God, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to him, to show what kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Before we begin our third study in our Healing Shame series. Um, we are starting a, a, a pilgrimage class a week from Monday night. If you would like to learn more about our church, find out ways to get involved in our church, meet some folks, it starts a week from Monday night, and you can sign up on the website under the Engage tab, so we'd love to have you. What is your greatest failure? What is your greatest or most painful disappointment in life? 
Our great failure or our great disappointment often inflicts our greatest shame. My greatest disappointment in life is the way my 15 years of ministry at Fellowship Church ended. I had always dreamed of long pastorates. I dreamed of serving fellowship for 40 years. And I believe I led well most of my tenure there, but the last two years were painful and humiliating for me and my family. There were factions in the church. I failed at resolving conflicts. Others failed as well. I became depressed, lost my joy in the work, and it became time to move on. Looking back at those painful years, I can see God's gentle hand moving me here where I could flourish. But it felt like a great failure at the time. And I felt like a dream had died and that I'd squandered a great opportunity. I could not drive by the building for seven years. I felt so ashamed. Great failures often bring about great shame. Bitter disappointments, unfulfilled dreams, unmet expectations can break our hearts and tempt us to agree with the lies of shame we learned in our earliest years. You are not enough. You should have done more by now. You don't belong here. Everyone else is doing better than you. Your life could have been so much more. Peter knows the pain of a great failure. He was a rising star in the future king's inner circle, even if he didn't really understand what kind of kingdom was coming. Uh, Sitting in the shadows at the Last Supper, he certainly would have been one of the disciples arguing about who was the greatest, who was going to be in the Messiah's cabinet. When Jesus warns of his death on the cross, Peter bravely boasts, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. Prison, death, ha! And then came the knock at the door. And Jesus is arrested and taken to the high priest's house. Peter follows him into the night, hides in the shadows. A servant girl sees him and says, hey, that man was with him. Woman, I don't know him, he replies. The night becomes colder. Peter warms himself by a fire. Another one says, you're not one of the disciples, are you? He denies it. He says, I am not. A servant, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had severed from his head earlier in the night, says, hey, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Peter denies it, says once again, no. And a rooster crows, and the understated Luke says, he went out and wept bitterly. Great failure brings great shame. Well, some weeks later, we find the disgraced leader far away from the nightmare of Jerusalem, quietly fishing along the gentle shores of his beloved Galilee, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Peter, of course, goes on 
to lay the foundations of the church. He goes on to have a wonderful ministry. We're partly here tonight because of his ministry. One of the reasons Peter was restored to ministry, one of the reasons Peter did not perish, one of the reasons we know the name Peter is because he'd figured at least one thing out from Jesus Christ, and that was when you fail, when you experience profound disappointment, you move towards community. He moved towards the people he'd been doing life with. Shame is always healed within healthy community. Hannah, uh, one of our gifted young leaders, just started a six-week book group on uh, healing sexual shame for, for, for women. Put a brief announcement in. The group fills up the first week. She starts another one the second week. Fills up. Now she started a third one with a waiting list. And uh, I'm hearing all these stories about it. And I asked one of the members, I said, what is so powerful about about this. What's happening? And, and uh, one of the women said, you know, I thought I was the only one to have ever experienced what I experienced. And when I get into a room in the chapel and I'm able to actually tell my story and others hear it and tell their story, that in itself is profoundly healing. Shortly after I left fellowship, I was very angry at God and I couldn't pray. John Wood, the pastor of Cedar Springs, invited me to join a little group of men who met in their chapel on Tuesday mornings and take the Eucharist and pray the prayers in the Book of Common Prayer. I'd never participated in a liturgical prayer before, but at that time it was so healing to pray those well-worn words and be with men who I barely knew but welcomed me anywhere. That's where healing begins. Do you have someone who knows your great disappointment? Well, Peter and the disciples head out for a little night fishing. The fish uh, are not cooperating. A pale sun finally rises over the Galilean hills. The weary fishermen notice a figure on the beach. They hear a strangely familiar voice. Other side, boys. Um... The moment the net hits the water, it starts to boil with dozens of fish thrashing, shimmering, cramming the net so full they can't even pull it in. John, of course, figures it out first. It's the Lord. Peter, of course, does a cannonball, sprints right to the beach. I love that moment. I love it. Those of you that struggle with shame, as I do, might have expected a different telling of the story there. It might have gone something like this. When the disciples realized that Peter was on the shore, they dove in and swam to the beach. But Peter, who had betrayed the Lord, hid in the boat so that he did not have to face him. No, he knows the Lord loves him. This is one of the choices we have to make when we struggle with great shame, when we have great disappointments. We decide whether or not we will move towards Jesus or isolation. Whether we will move towards his people, his promises, his words, his scripture, or we will drift out to our death on the wine-dark seas of shame. 
Once the disciples have secured the boat and Peter has toweled off, Jesus says, come and have breakfast. And we read, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so would the fish. <laughs> nothing, nothing heals shame like a good breakfast. Thank you, Alfred. Think about what we're saying when we ask somebody to breakfast. I want to be with you. You matter to me. I'm interested in you. We're still together in this. Something, sometimes the most holy thing you can do from someone who has had a great disappointment is buy him a banana pancake at first watch. We tend to feel awkward when someone fails or is struggling. We don't know what to stay. We stop pursuing them. It plays into shame's deadly trap. It causes the person to feel isolated and forgotten. Is there anybody in your life, friend, who you need to ask to breakfast? Beloved, I don't think we're very good at this. I think too often in the church, when you fail, when you blow it, we move on and forget about you. Anybody who needs to go to breakfast? The year after I left fellowship was a dark one for Sandy and I and our family. A handful of faithful friends held us close. But outside of that, the phone stopped ringing. I don't know if you've ever gone through that. I thought I was so popular. And then I realized I wasn't fulfilling a service anymore and I was no longer needed. There was one pastor who took me to breakfast. Just one. John Wood. The conversation we had, I still think of, it reminds me a little bit of this great beach moment with Peter. Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Oh, Lord, I I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, yes, tend my sheep. But Peter, do you love me? Peter is grieved. Yes, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus gives Peter the chance to declare his love for him three times. And with a warm breakfast and a gentle conversation, he has once again shown his love to his fallen disciple. And Peter's heart throbs with love in response. And that is where shame is healed. What heals shame? Love. Love heals shame. The love of a friend over that banana pancake who didn't have to call you. The love that we feel in Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus restores Peter to ministry. He gives him a, a job to do, and he says, Shepherd God's flock. He does more than love him. He gives him, calls him back. When when John and I met for breakfast, I think I've told you a I was enrolled in graduate school. I decided I'd never pastor or preach again. And then John told me about a night in New York City, uh, if we could have this picture up. It was 1967, and John had just been invited to never return to Wheaton College. Um, John had enlisted in the Navy, and uh, the Vietnam War was raging. And sometime in the middle of the night, he found St. Patrick's Cathedral, and that red door at 2 in the morning was open. 
And he went in and had breakfast with Jesus. And John said, ever since that day, I've longed to create a space in our city where you could come in at any hour of the day or night and do your work with God. And I said, that's the vision God's put in my heart, too. And then he said four words that have changed my life. Would you help me? Couldn't believe it. Felt like such a failure. And he asked me to help. I think this is what happens when we begin to heal from shame. We start to find good work to do again. There's a new path in the forest where we once only saw trees. We, we begin again as if for the first time. And Again, it, is there anybody that you know who's been abandoned by the church because they failed that you could welcome back to the work of God? Now, this is no romantic comedy. The violins aren't soaring at the end of this story. Jesus has a sober word. Truly, I say, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. When you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter's ministry wound up looking nothing like he anticipated. And to say that God heals our shame does not mean to say that you will get to do everything you dreamed of doing and every promise that you'd ever wanted to fulfill, you'd fulfill. No, 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 no. It might look very different. It might end up on a cross. But it's God's. On a steamy June afternoon in 2007, in Mission Viejo, California, one of the oldest world records in sports was being broken. A young woman named Kate Ziegler was about to become the fastest woman to ever swim the 1,500-meter freestyle, breaking Janet Evans' record of 20 years earlier. And after this triumph, Kate became a gold medal favorite both in Beijing and in the London Olympics. Kate and I met and began meeting together when she started swimming professionally in Knoxville. I was starstruck at first. I had been one of the slowest swimmers in the world during college. (laughs) But eventually, I realized that Kate was like everyone else. She has known great disappointment that has caused her great shame. And I've had the privilege of watching Jesus heal her over the past few years. And so as I prepared for tonight, I I asked Kate if she would share her story with you. Thank you, Doug. And it's a privilege to be with you all tonight. Um, I met Doug four years ago after moving to Knoxville to train for a third Olympic Games. Sitting in his office during our first meeting, I decided quickly that I would not be meeting with him again. (laughs) We were done. (laughs) Why? Well, because perhaps as only someone who's lived in prison of shame can do. 
Doug saw the barriers. He saw through the barriers and the walls that I had put up, built up over the years that had kept me safe for so long. He saw the remnants of the shame that had plagued me, haunted me since I was a child, and had defined my identity. I couldn't let go of those. I could not lose control. I could not, would not be vulnerable. And I absolutely could not fail again. I was 12 years old when I was told that I could be really great at swimming, whatever that meant, really great, and and 13 when I started to believe that vision. Unlike many of my peers who weren't willing to make the sacrifices necessary to achieve the vision of greatness laid out before them, I was. So that meant no Friday night sleepovers, no summer vacations for this teenager. I was so driven by that vision to be the best. I started waking up at 3.45 for two hours of practice before school and then going back to the pool for another two and a half hours in the afternoon. Then came dinner on the road, homework when I got home, quickly turning around, going to bed early so that I could do it all again the next day, so I could be the best. Over time, I started to define myself by my performance. This shy, unpopular girl with acne-stained cheeks. She just so desperately wanted to be loved. And the more that I won, the more love I received. And so the lie became, Kate, if you just win, then you'll be loved. And that lie was reinforced with the cheers and the validation, the excitement, the interviews that followed after every victory. And it echoed loudly in my ears in the silence that came after defeat. Eventually, I started telling myself an even bigger lie. Okay, okay, you're doing pretty well here, but really, you're nothing until you become the best in the world. Then you'll be enough. Then you'll be loved. Then you don't have to try so hard anymore. And then I became the best in the world. I broke the world record in the 1500 meter freestyle by 10 seconds. Yes, I'm free, right? No, much to my disappointment, the lie just grew louder and it it just changed a little. Now the lie said, Kate, you're nothing until you win the Olympic gold medal and then you'll be enough and then you can rest and then you'll be loved. But that wasn't true. On a sweltering summer evening, I choked back the nerves and the fears that had been boiling up inside of me. I forced a smile as 400 of my closest family and friends and teammates, coaches, all joined together to send me off to the Beijing Olympics, where I was favored to win gold. This joyous celebration, while it was joyous, I appreciated them. All it did was just pile on the pressure and the nerves and the fears that I'd already been crumbling under for months. What, what if I fail? I just asked myself over and over and over again, what if I don't win a medal? What if I let them all down? They will all be so disappointed in me. Don't be silly. Okay, 
my friends would all reassure me, don't be silly, people love you for you, Kate. They were wrong. Because when I returned home stateside after not winning a medal in Beijing, there were just two people there waiting to greet me. Not winning a medal in Beijing was my greatest failure. And then I failed at the Olympics again. This time, a flu bug stole my strength and with it the medal that had promised I knew would redeem me at the London Olympics. Now, two-time Olympic failure. I was so overwhelmed with Shane. I could only do this and just simply in desperation pray, Lord, I surrender. I have been trying. I have been striving. I've been trying to control it for so long, and I just keep failing. Save me. I've been on the path to healing my shame for six years now. And he has healed shame in ways that I didn't even know I needed to pray for, ways that far surpassed my prayers. And, and he has healed wounds that cut so deep that I never thought they would close, wounds that far surpassed athletics. He healed the shame of a twisted relationship with a man who left me believing that I was worth nothing. He healed my eating disorder. And he freed me from a self-hatred, a deep-seated hatred of my body. He healed me through scripture. He gave me an angel in my life who, who was a spiritual mother. Every week for two years, she met with me, creating a safe space to talk about God's word and his love for me. He healed me through the love of good people, really good people. A woman who not just only opened her doors, but she opened her heart to me when I moved to Knoxville and I didn't know anyone. A pastor who saw through those walls, saw through the barriers and patiently, caringly, just sat there and and helped me, encouraged me to let them down. A coach who valued me as a person far more than as a swimmer. A janitor at my training facility who befriended me and cared for me like a grandfather would his beloved granddaughter. And most significantly, he gave me a husband and a new family with them who love more fully and generously than any group of people you've ever met in your life. The struggle, and it is a struggle, the struggle to heal my shame is still ongoing. It is still a battle, but I will tell you this. I no longer live in the prison of shame, isolation, and secrecy. And the freedom that I've experienced is a reward that far surpasses any medal that I have ever won. Four years ago, I walked into Doug's office, and I was Kate Ziegler, two-time Olympian, world champion, world record setter. 
even though I had already started on the journey to healing my shame, there was still a little voice there. Psst, little lie. Kate, no. Wouldn't just one more record, wouldn't that heal those hurts of your past failures? Wouldn't, wouldn't just one more medal, wouldn't that give you that little bit more value and worth that you've been seeking? Wouldn't just one more championship, wouldn't that be the closure that you want to the storied career, punctuated by the highest of highs and the lowest of lows? And now, I don't ask those questions anymore. I walk into Doug's office and I walk into the world and I am Kate Ziegler Davis. I am a two-time Olympian. I am a world champion. I am a world record setter. But those accomplishments are just those. They simply distinguish. They do not define me. Because I'm just Kate the beloved daughter of Christ, flawed and cherished, forgiven and covered in grace, uniquely and wonderfully made, and praise the Lord, I am unconditionally loved. Amen. Thank you. Okay, just be quiet for a moment. I want you to go back. What is the greatest disappointment in your life? What's the greatest failure in your life? I want you to name it to yourself. What shaming lies have you learned from that wound? What lies about your identity and where you'll find meaning and fulfillment have you learned from that great failure or great disappointment? come to the table tonight, I want you to repent. And by that I mean I want you to reject the shaming lie you've been living by and embrace the gospel which is what we're sharing at the table tonight. Shaming lie you've been living by and embrace the gospel which is what we're sharing at the table tonight.